Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to episode 61 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hilary Allen. And we are all about to embark in the next two weeks to travel to our final season ending races. It feels kind of funny to be season ending because I feel like we all kind of had like a steep start to the season and then like kind of disappeared from the season. And now we're like coming back for one more race. Um, so I'm just wondering how you both are feeling. Uh, Hillary, you're traveling first. Um, you leave you leave soon uh, in regards to when we're recording. How are you feeling getting ready to head over to Thailand? Oh, boy. Um, I'm ready. I'm excited to be actually doing some running races. I feel like I'm just getting started because I've been doing biking races all season. But I mean, it's also I still feel like pretty like ready to have this be, be my last race because even if I'm racing on a bike, it's still like a lot of mental stress. Um, I'm just happy that I uh, avoided a debacle today. I thought I lost my key out on the trail during my run and uh, I ran back and I found it. So happy that that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, happy that that didn't happen either. I've been sweating it out in the sauna because I'm pretty sure I'm going to die in South Africa from from the heat. Um, so I'm here in Thailand. Yeah, I, uh, Keely, I was thinking about you when I was in the sauna and I was like, we're going to be post sauna recording this episode. And I was like, I've seen the Keely face post sauna. I've gotten the Keely post sauna text messages before. So I was like, oh, Keely knows exactly what I'm, what I'm dealing with right now. I love that post sauna feeling, but yeah, it's, you're pretty useless. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, kind of, I'm like kind of loopy and I'm like, Ooh, really? Maybe I should be pushing my sauna until after my work day, but you know, you take the time that you're given and you make good on it. Um, yeah, how are you I've feeling been, about going to Thailand? I'm just excited. I've never been to Thailand. So I'm just stoked to have a little venture in the mountains. I've been doing lots of hiking and uh, some running. Well, a lot of yes. running too, but lots of hiking. And uh, I feel like Portland's been helping a little bit because it was been really humid. So mm. that's been nice, but it's not been hot at all. So I'll be saunaing too, probably just kind of as a supplement. Um, but mainly just stoked because I'm doing like, we're going to do some fun stuff in Thailand before the race and after the race. And then um going to go to Japan. So kind of turning mm-hmm. into an adventure and just stoked to like be out there and just explore new trails and go and just goal to have fun and like refine my roots of running. Heck yeah, that's super exciting. You'll be finding your roots because I'm pretty sure the <laughs> Thailand trail is occasionally oh, yeah. trail and occasionally just jungle. So uh, <laughs> really going back to your roots there. Well, while we're talking about traveling, something I've been like starting to lay out my bags for Cape Town. And one thing that is going in my bags are my AG1 travel packs. Steven keeps stealing them to bring them to the hospital when he's working night shifts. And I say, nope, you have to give me these like seven packs. I have to make it to Cape Town with me. We've been drinking AG1 for I think close to two years now. And I've really been able to notice this kind of energy difference. Talking about that loopy sauna feeling that AG1 post post feeling also kind of hits pretty hard too. So if you would like to try AG1, they, like which is, you know, the supplement that we've really trusted to support our daily needs. Um, that's why we've been a partner with them for so long. And if you also want to take ownership in your health, um, that can start with AG1. To try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, 3K2, and five free AG1 travel packs, those packs that I told you were having uh, marital strife over, um, you're going to head over to drinkag1.com slash trail society. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash trail society to check out some AG1 today. News, y'all. 
I added this like just like 15 minutes ago. So sorry um, to those of you who tried to read this document before. This too. Um, Na- Women's National Soccer League. Have to give a quick shout out. My my team, the Rain, lost to Gotham. That's okay. Um, it was really cool to have Allie Krieger and Megan um, Rapino playing their last ever professional games. Both longtime standouts in the women's um, U.S. U.S. national team um, on opposing teams for this final. But the bigger thing is, I mentioned a couple episodes ago that there was this huge deal, like huge media deal that was going through. Um, CBS has had the media deal, media rights for the National Women's Soccer League for the last four years. We like had rumors the new deal was going to be really, really big. In fact, it is very big. It's two hundred and forty million dollars big which is 40 times bigger than the current deal with CBS. And that new $240 million agreement marks an annual 3,900% increase in value. Yeah, I saw these numbers earlier today and I was just like, what? You're like, how is that possible? Yeah, like, like you I can't think... even compare the two. It's just absurd. <laughs> it's apples, apples and oranges. The viewership's up by like 21% or something um, as well. So super cool. I'm already trying to scheme ways to get my hands on some more tickets for the 2024 rain season here in Seattle. Maybe Keely, I'll come down to Portland. We'll see a Portland, Portland, Seattle game. Portland rain versus the Thorns. I saw the semis that yeah. last week. Yeah, we're it in the so good. We'll come and yell at each other while we yell at soccer players. It'll be great. <laughs> Perfect. Other big bit of news. Um, there will have been lots of thoughtful conversation about this by the time that this podcast comes out next week. But that is the the newest another series being added to the trail. Midst timing seems to be a little bit of a factor here, but I think the timing is largely coincidental. Um, and again, we're talking about the the World Trail Majors or the WTM that got announced early this morning, kind of resurrecting the former Ultra Trail World Tour um, based on the race directors involved. It really feels like it's a rebirth of the defunct UTWT um, with Jamil in there, with um, Steve Bramer and Nancy Ng of Hong Kong 100K in there, with Stu of UTCT in that mix, it really feels like it's kind of this, the old guard who have not been acquired or have not partnership with UTMB kind of being like, you know what, we're going to do our thing. That feels very, um, like, you know, democratic, very non hierarchical, because I think what UTWT turned into towards the end was that there was definitely bonus points for it being like the UTM, like UTMB and CCC, et cetera, as opposed to like, all races being on equal footing, um, which some of the race judges have talked about in their press releases for this. Is it perfect? No. Am I excited about it? Yeah. A lot of the races of the nine listed thus far do happen in Q1 of the year, which means that I will not go to any of those five races, basically. But the series includes Hong Kong 100K, Black Canyon 100K, Trans Grand Canaria, Mount Fuji 100 Mile, formerly UTMF, um, but, you know, someone sued them over the term Ultra Trail, so they have a new name. Um, Madeira Island Ultra Trail, Swiss Canyon Trail, which is in um, in Switzerland, South Downs Way, which is a 100 mile in the UK on the South Downs Way Trail, Quebec Mega Trail, and then UTCT in November, which is actually just about to happen. Um, I'm wondering... Just kind of your your guys' initial reactions to hearing the news, just kind of like positive, indifferent, negative, et cetera. Like, 
any any feelings, any pulses from talking to your local communities about it today? I mean, initially, I just think it's it can be it's well, it's not the exact replacement, but it seems like the same thing as the Ultra Trail World Tour, right? So it's like we have the the golden. Well, we did have the Sky Running series; we still have it. But for kind of like 50k distances, some other like um, Ultra Pune was in there. Some some other 100k distances. Now we primarily have the Golden Trail series for the shorter distance. So this seems like it's kind of replacing the Ultra Trail World Tour or providing an alternative to the UTMB races. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think. Not necessarily, it doesn't need to be a series, but I think it can be, you know, just because these races are cool on their own, but I think it could be cooler and incentive um, for people to kind of do a different series if they want to do that throughout a, throughout the year for like a different type of final. So I think it's cool. Yeah. And there will be no, there's no championship race, um, right. which some people like, some people right. don't like. You just need to do two of the races to score in it. And even they've even said, you know, the goal isn't to do all nine of these in a year. The goal is to do all nine of these in a lifetime to mm. like kind of drawing those parallels to like the world majors from a marathon standpoint. They'll likely expand this series moving forward. I could see a race like Ultra Paraneo or Templier making it onto this mm-hmm. group and list um, as they fill out the fall calendar down the road. And I actually just tweeted at Finn. Um, ironically enough, because he that's his biggest gripe is that there's there's no series finale. Like we want to build towards something. And I said, trail running is a 12 month a year sport. What does it mean for like UTCT to come after UTMB, et cetera? Like there's no, it doesn't logically there is no conclusion to the year because the year just keeps going. And I said, why isn't the World Mountain and Trail Running Championships, which will happen every two years now? why can't that just be what it's supposed to be like an actual championship and let the other races be, be standalone, maybe have a, a, like a year end tally of points, but does, do we have to have a championship outside of the world championships? Like maybe that's the question. No. And and I'm kind of with you. Like I saw this and my first thought was like, Oh, well, this is sweet. Like these are all really great races. I'm glad they're keeping to their roots, you know, and like, staying true to themselves, keeping the leadership that founded the race in there, kind of doing their own thing, like taking a stand against UTMB. But I think like creating another series in my mind, like defeats the purpose. I think one of the things that's inherently wrong with the UTMB series is that every single thing focuses on the finale. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that leads to really poor race planning, like overtraining, over racing. And like for this to just be like, yeah. And for this to more be just like, Hey, we're actually just like bonding together and highlighting and elevating these races. So they don't feel like they're inferior to UTMB because they're not. Some of these races are so competitive. Um, and some UTMB races are not like, I think that's really the point that I think is really important here. And like finding another like world trail series thing to me, like is not the big point of this whole thing. At least that was kind of my whole initial take on it. Yeah, I, I I agree with that too. I think that maybe this could also be kind of a place where elites can go if they don't want to do the UTMB series and still have a, like a competitive series of races, maybe like even without the final, but still something like that where you can still have a place to kind of compete against the best. Because you're right, like these races are all, they've been Very competitive. They've yeah. been super competitive, but I think it could be another thing to be like put to sponsors to be like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, like this could be yep. a good 
yeah. highlight. Signaling. It's signaling yeah. that if if you like, it's signaling that, hey, like we, we will put together a competitive field here and like these races matter. And I think it's important to remember that there are so many races mm-hmm. that matter. There's a great quote, I think it was out of, out of the I Run Far article on this. Every major news outlet has covered it. I listened to two different podcasts about it this morning. My brain has turned to complete mashed potatoes, sauna notwithstanding. Um, but Steve, Steve Bramer, who is one of the co-race directors for Hong Kong 100K, said um, he describes the the WTM as an association of the most emblematic races in the sport coming together to be a positive for the sport as a whole, connecting runners, communities, and cultures around the globe who love the sport of trail running. The focus is the focus is on all runners, not just elites, and the races are independent, retaining their individuality, authenticity, and heritage, but working closely together. Each race takes pride in, contributes to, reflects, and is nourished by its community. And as every trail runner knows, it's the community that makes trail running so special. Our sense is that not all global running tours really recognize that. So maybe some subtle shade there to be thrown at UTMB, but I, I get it. And apparently this has been in the work for months. Someone asked, you know, well, this is, you know, convenient timing to have right. this released three weeks after the Wham UTMB news broke. And, and they're like, oh, we wish we could pull together a global race series in two to three weeks. But this has been, it sounds like talks have been going on since, you know, basically since the Ultra World Tour stopped its existence. Um, so it's cool yeah. to have it finally kind of coming to fruition. And and they have to announce to, like, at some put point. These- yeah, and I think it's good to put these races back on the map as like yeah. still very significant races because they mm. all are sweet. Yeah. yeah, particularly for like Hong Kong 100K that like I think has been majorly impacted by the pandemic. I was fortunate enough to go to that race in January of 2019. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I'd like gotten hit on my bike like a week before I left and like had re-aggravated a back injury and it was not ideal to try to run 100K in those conditions. Um, so I did not finish that race, but it's getting to experience Hong Kong was so, so cool. And I think like the international trail running world remembering like, Oh yeah, these races exist, um, is, and any of these are bucket list races. Like I've been to Madeira twice now. Like it's insane. I've wanted to go to Mount Fuji for like year after year after year for like the last, like many, many years, but it's always been like in conflict with something else in my life, more like mm-hmm. my husband's birthday, like family events, et cetera. Not, not because I have other race commitments, but because I like physically like can't leave the country. Um, so yeah, these, yeah. these events are important yeah. to get back to. And I think like if they're well, and if they're putting money into this series, which I'm sure they are to some degree, at least like there's probably going to be better coverage of these races and with better coverage becomes, you know, more enticing. It's more enticing to sponsors. And then, you know, sponsors might not just be like, oh, you're not running UTMB. Like we are mad at you or like, we only want you to run UTMB. So like if we can make these races also kind of go up to that level then we give people like the ability to choose a race they actually want to do and not just be like all in on just one or two races every single year, every single year on repeat, just like the same race, the same race, the same race. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. It's exciting to get to kind of stretch, stretch Mm -hmm. our legs a little bit. I guess, pun intended. Um, okay, well, we can't stay on this for too long because we need to we need to keep bopping along. But that's kind of our initial take. And by the time this comes out, we'll probably have more hot takes on this. Um, but we'd be curious to kind of know how you guys feel about another series being added to the mix, kind of with all that information um, already bouncing around. But we had to hit some results. I want to just highlight two races, Tunnel Hill and the Mohab Trail Half Marathon that have both taken place in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, half marathon up to a 50 mile, hundred mile, but I had to highlight tunnel Hill because it was 
stupid fast. Once again, remember, this is a race that takes place on like a crushed gravel towpath, kind of rail trail style trail, um, but produces super, super fast times. Charlie Lawrence um, bettered Jim Walmsley's 50 mile world record that Jim set back in 2019 during the Hoka Carbon X project. Jim's time at that point was four hours, 50 minutes and 58 seconds for a 50 mile. Um, Charlie won the race, setting the world record in four hours, 48 minutes and 21 seconds, which is averaging 546 mile pace for 50 miles. Whoa. Stupid. <laughs> it's so That's fast. fast. It's so fast. And I think he's done, I think from what I read on I Run Far, he's competed in like the US Road 50K. And I think he paced Des Linden for her 50K. And that was like, that's, that's his ultra experience, basically. So that was super, super cool um, to see. And then um, on the women's side, fast times were run on the 50 mile as well with Polina um, Hodnet and Allison Mercer running 554 and 557. They both broke the previous course record and they actually landed in the fifth and sixth all time spots for the American, like for American women in the 50 mile distance. So super, super stellar times there. We have to give a major shout out as well to Elav Olsen, who came over from Sweden. He took down Zach Bitter's 100 mile record on this course (laughs) by 40 minutes. Oh my gosh. He ran 11 hours and 26 minutes on this course, which is once again, stupid fast. So congratulations to everyone involved there. And then Moab Trail Marathon or Half Marathon rather, which serves serves as the USA Track and Field Half Marathon Trail National Championships. I got the whole thing out. <laughs> um, it was really cool to see the races were were stacked. Um, super, super fast times on both on both fronts. I think Bailey had some super amazing, you know, caption on her Instagram post. I was like, you know, I'm I'm standing on the start line and Stevie Kramer's on one side and Anna Mae Flynn's on the other side. And I'm just like, wow, like this is a, this is a fast group of women. Um, despite thinking that she won the race by almost five minutes. Um, but then behind her, the race was super tight for those podium spots. Um, Rachel Rudel took second with Alicia Vargo, who is our personal mother hero, took mm-hmm. third. And they were just a minute apart from one another. And then just a minute behind Alicia Vargo was Stevie Kramer in fourth. So it was actually very, very tight in that top five group. Another mother hero of ours um, and Stevie Kramer. On the men's side, um, Mika Badone Rousseau, who's a Brooks teammate of Hillary's, um, <laughs> recent Stanford grad, I want to say. Um, yes, who had an amazing mammoth trail fest ran down Andy Wacker, which is hard to do late <laughs> in this race. Like he, I think he caught Andy at nine miles in. He ended up taking the win in one hour, 21 minutes and 36 seconds. Andy finished a super close second place, 122 13. And then um, Grant Cooligan rounded, the, rounded out the podium in 123.35. So Mika is a name that we are going to start talking about a lot. I think mm-hmm. the dude is the dude is part of that future trail running crew. And uh, mm-hmm. he's actually coming out to Thailand to do the 50K. So um, oh, super cool. Yeah. So we'll get to meet him out there. But yeah, he's su- he's super fast. And Andy has been helping him with his the, the, the trail team, like mentoring him. So I think that's really cool. <laughs> that is super cool yeah that whole that whole group is i know anna gibson's kind of part of that that group as well so they've Mm -hmm. got a cool a cool thing going for them over at the trail team and he's really taken that whole thing under his wing it's it's sick kind of next i mean and it's one thing to say like oh andy wackers moved on to the next chapter of his career blah 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 he was still second and like (laughs) led the race until mile nine before his like little protege like 
picked him off like that. <laughs> Andy's yeah. not retiring anytime soon is what I'm getting. No. At. And actually I ran with Andy not too long ago. And I mean, he had like serious, you know, Achilles surgery. So it's really cool to see him racing. Yeah. He had Haglund's, well. Haglund's yeah. deformity. Exactly. Mm. So. Well, it is what it is. You get older, the kids start trying to beat you. It's a whole thing. Um, we'll keep an eye on it though. We'll make sure we keep those little kiddos in check. Um, okay. And people listening to this are like, you're not old. It's like when Dylan Bowman complains to me about being old and I'm like, dude, stop. You're like, two, you're like three <laughs> years older than me. Like, sh- How many times has that man retired? <laughs> A lot. I'm just retiring. Like, I'm, retiring I'm just retiring. I'm done. Oh, and then I'm coming back into and the sport. Then he won't listen to this, so it's fine. Maybe Ryan will tell him. He'll be like, Oh, Corinne, I've been training. It's going really good. And I'm like, Yeah, no duh, man. When you run, you feel better. Um well, yeah, it's, Dylan Bowman aside. It's brilliant. It just makes for good comeback stories. <laughs> yeah, always. Always the comeback story. Um, okay, we have to give another shout out though, and that's to the folks over at the feed. Y'all, I just placed a kind of hilarious feed order um that i'm hoping they ship really fast if any of you have experienced the feed shipping you a snack box it like you hit order and i feel like it's on your doorstep the next day for hillary they probably just like bike it over <laughs> to her house because they're in boulder um it takes a little bit longer to get to seattle and portland but not that much longer actually and i've got waffles coming because you know i'm flying with those things because that's what i'm going to be toasting up race morning for cape town but i also I'm like very, I've, I think I've vomited up every single sports nutrition product on the market right now. And so I've got an eclectic bunch of things that I am taking with me. I think there's like five or six brands involved in my UTCT nutrition plan. And all of them are coming in that feed package that will arrive before I depart. Um, for that race. So we had to give a shout out to the feed. They're keeping us fueled on the trail, fueled off the trail. They're in our recovery shakers. They are Keely's coffee supplier, apparently. Um, <laughs> they have a little bit of everything, including like um, a bunch of uh, supplements that are all, not all, but many of the companies that carry are certified safe for sport, which is amazing. Got some of that stuff coming as well. So if you want to try the feed, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you can get a $15 credit to spend on $35 of product. Again, that's $15 every quarter. So $60, 60 free dollars within girl, which is like how girl math works, 60 free dollars to use over the course of the year. So uh, take our advice on girl math, go over to thefeed.com slash trail society to get your snack credits today. Okay. Are you all ready? Meat and potatoes time? Yeah. Healy's backwards hat energy today, which I really appreciate. <laughs> Balling out over there. Um, okay. You guys delivered. We asked you to send questions. Y'all came at our inboxes a little aggressively. <laughs> and we're going to cover as many as we can today. We might not get through everything. But one thing I do want to add is that so, there were some really good questions that we're not going to cover today. And those include things like strength training for ultra runners, prenatal and postpartum anxiety and depression in running, um, how pro contracts work in the process to becoming a pro athlete, and then youth in ultra endurance sports. Those were four really interesting topics that I think we would like to dive deeper in with some experts in the field, some people that are experiencing it personally, et cetera. So um, thank you for the episode ideas, I guess. Um, but just want to know that we won't be covering those questions um, today. And if we miss a question, know that it's going to stay in our Ask Us Anything document and we'll come back up another time. Are you ready? 
Okay. And keep sending us those questions, even if we don't put yours in, because we always do society slams too. Yeah, they can end up in a society slam and they can end up in a document that is just like our brainstorming document, which is kind of gross and not very well organized, but it lives, it exists. Okay, (laughs) first question. Uh, Someone wanted to know, how do you recover emotionally and physically from a fall? Which is, I thought was hilarious because I fall just like all the time, but it's super minor. Keely falls in like moderately traumatic ways. And then Hillary falls off the sides of mountains. So this is a really great question for us. And so I'm wondering, since my falls apparently are not traumatic, but just happen all the time, I'm wondering how the two of you have emotionally and physically recovered from your falls. Keely, yours is lighter. Why don't you go first? (laughs) I don't, I mean, it definitely is lighter, but this year was pretty traumatic too, where you're like rolling on the ground for 30 minutes. I definitely like didn't run for a couple months after that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think it's like really silly to think that you need to recover emotionally from a fall, but I think that is 100% true. Um, And so I think giving yourself the space to acknowledge that it is an emotional recovery, regardless of how silly that makes you feel um, or how hard that is, is like the first step is like acknowledging that you can cope it. And so like I had to like sit with that for a really long time. And then I would go out to the trails and like go on walks. And as I'd be walking, I'd be like thinking about falling. And, you know, when you think about falling, you're going to (laughs) fall. And so you have to slowly, like, really just start asking yourself, like, is this something that happens all the time? Do you normally fall and dislocate your shoulder? Answer is no. I mean, I probably fall more than the most of us, but like, that's not going to happen every time you run. Like, you're a gifted runner. You don't fall every single day unless you're Corinne. And so, like, you have to kind of come to terms with that. It's not something that's going to happen all the time so that you can try to run again. Um, and like, for me, that was really hard just because like it, I'd fallen or twist, you know, fallen slash sprained my ankle for two years now in a row and had to drop out from both. And like, by the end, you're just like, man, I just maybe should retire. Like, clearly I can't do this. Um, but yeah, you have to just kind of acknowledge that it's a thing and try to slowly coax your way into doing it and like, start off really timid, do whatever feels good. Like, don't make yourself run fast downhill. Like, stay really controlled. If it's baby steps and it's a mix of running and walking, that's fine. That's step number one. And then you can slowly build from there as you get more and more confident. And then just give yourself a lot of grace and don't don't rush it. Um, yeah, I think it's not dissimilar. Yeah. It's not like dissimilar from like skiing or biking, et cetera, where it's like, yeah, maybe you're going to break a little bit more at the top of something until you get comfortable. And then you're going to find yourself breaking less and less and less and less and less. And all of a sudden you're like riding the whole thing or running the whole thing, et cetera. So I think there's like, it, that feels silly when it comes to running, but it's, it's not, it's not silly. Hillary, I know that your fall was a little bit different. I don't know which way you want to take this, but you know, how do you recover emotionally and physically from a fall? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it, you have to give yourself time. I mean, I'm in many ways, like mine is fairly traumatic. Like, and, and I'm still dealing with, she injuries. wrote a book about it. If you haven't it, read it. Exactly. So you're going to, you can read the book. Cause oftentimes I think it's like, you need to find a community sometimes because it can seem like, you know, I think so, it's, it can be so common. Like after you finish a race, like people ask you, Oh, what's next. Right. And so there's like, don't rush it. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is how up and down recovery can be. I mean, I've still dealing with injuries like six and a half years later from this thing. So it's like, it can be pretty um, mentally and emotionally draining. And I think as if it's not, I think the best thing to do, at least for me, is to embrace those things. Because if you try to push it away or try to rush through the process, it almost gets worse. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a little bit of, of community and, um, you know, to, to try to, to try to come to grips with it mentally, um, and that it's okay, you could read my book. It's called Out and Back. Um, but I honestly do think the biggest part is just staying patient with yourself and not, not trying, not forcing yourself into anything too soon. Mm -hmm. What does your first run look like back? Oh gosh. And that's the coolest thing is, uh, it's not a run. It's a hike. <laughs> Honestly, like my, I would go before, before any injury, before I do any return to run. I mean, I obviously do a lot of cycling, but, um, uh, before I do any, even a return to run of like run one minute, walk five minutes, I'm doing hiking so I can actually gain confidence back. And a really big thing, especially for, uh, for me and ankles. I mean, Keely, I don't know if you tried this, but like holes. They helped me so much in mm -hmm. helping me like regain my confidence and my balance in my body. Um, and they could, I was using those a lot, um, even on like a non-technical trail just to like help me kind of gain confidence back. Cause yeah, it is. I mean, you know, running and trail running, especially downhill, it's a confidence sport, you know, it's like the more fluid and like the less you think about falling the like, you know, if you're, t if you're thinking about falling, you're tense up. And I think it's more likely to fall. Yeah. So go, go follow a friend, but follow yeah. a friend like eight or 10 feet back from them. Don't run right on their tail. Like <laughs> run behind, run downhill behind a friend who runs downhill really well, but stay like eight to 10 feet back from them. And like, that'll help you kind of like flow down the trail without tripping on the same things they're tripping on. <laughs> We're going to bounce along and I'm going to make this next one extra short. And someone asked, how does cross-country ski training compare to training volume? This is going to take a little bit of a, like a, how how good do you ski? Um, I would say that I'm a very efficient skier. And I, so I, I think it's like kind of one-to-one. -one. I think most people like, man, it might even be like harder mm -hmm. than running because yeah. you're not very coordinated. So I would say like, it's not like you need to double down on your Nordic skiing to compare it to a run, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're using, I use time for a lot of my exercise prescriptions. So like, I think it's very one-to-one -one. if I'm skiing somewhere where we're skiing up like a valley, and then we're going to turn around and come down the valley, for example. Um, maybe I go a little bit longer because like we're going downhill for part of it. Um, there's a bunch of places I've lived where it's like you ski uphill for eight miles and then you turn around and ski down. The eight miles uphill is way harder than the eight miles downhill. So, but I think otherwise it can be very one-to-one. -one. If not, go a little bit easier on yourself on skiing, unless you're a very efficient Nordic skier particularly on a mileage standpoint, you could be out there for forever, potentially. <laughs> um, so just uh, yeah. keep that yeah. in mind. Conditions matter, 100%. right? There's fast ski conditions and there's really mm -hmm. slow ski conditions. So look at time, maybe more than mileage, and then um, focus on like mm -hmm. how much energy you're exerting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing to note is that skiing is really low impact. So, mm -hmm. which is not a no brainer to us because we ski, but it's it's not very much impact compared to running, right? And I think that does pose an advantage for volume, but it also could be like something you overlook when you're transitioning back to grounded running. Mm -hmm. And so it's just something to be mindful of. Like, you know, you might be skiing 10, 12 hours a week in the winter, but that doesn't mean you can just all of a sudden jump to 12 hours of, of grounded running in the, in the spring, because that's all impact. And so just like easing it back in and kind of like seesawing it out as you get into spring is probably a more like balanced approach that so you don't all of a sudden just overload all your bones after yeah. doing like two months of, of low impact activity. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where it's like your engine is ready for training for run training, but your 
body isn't. So it's like, even for my skiers that I coach who I know are going to transition to running in the spring, they're doing a couple 30 minute runs a week to try to like, make sure they're staying on top of some of that musculoskeletal, mm-hmm. um, bone, bone loading stuff. Uh, the next question we had is how do you go about peeing in the woods? Quickly, <laughs> quickly, as quickly as possible quickly, and not in poison oak. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Watch out for poison ivy. We have that here. Uh, it's yeah. So look around in your don't surroundings. Don't wipe with leaves you don't recognize. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Echo that. I literally heard a story this weekend. I was at a camp with no service doing trail work for this kid's camp. And one story they talked about was a kid who wiped himself with poison oak. <laughs> oh, that poor child. Oh. Um, yeah. You do it quickly. I think boys have it easy, right? They can just like turn around and pee. Um, but yeah, have a, have a friend. I have times will be like, have my friend stand guard for me. Um, but yeah, just be cautious of getting off trail, right? Like if you live in an area with snakes or spiders, you want to be cognizant of that. If you live in an area with poison oak or poison ivy, you want to be cogn- cognizant of that. But yeah, I like going I, about it quickly. Can I <laughs> use trees too as support? Yeah, I do that. Can you too? Yeah. yeah. Adam held for me during Leadville because I couldn't squat anymore. So have have a friend who is willing to hold your hands while you pee because your legs are so tired that you can't squat on your own anymore. I have a can I do a quick story? Just really quickly. Yeah. I popped a squat for a for a pee and on a trail and I like look, you know, looked around. There was no one or whatever or any anything. And then I I pee and I get up and I hear like a rattle. And there was a rattlesnake. It wasn't, it wasn't like close to me, but it was like, it was, it was like, like down, you know, like down on the trail, but like take a, take another peek. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little little spooky. (laughs) Yeah. I think if you're outside running enough and you pee enough outside, someone's going to catch you peeing outside and that's, (laughs) that's okay. We've all been there. Um, Best advice for being the best crew to my, for my friends, hundred mile. I think be willing to hold their hands when they can't squat anymore. That's pretty good advice. But I'm wondering, you know, for yeah. like thinking about this, you know, someone's going to go crew their their friend. How can they be the best 100 mile crew person possible? The first thing I would say is have a conversation with your runner um, about like when, like, at what point is it okay to like talk about quitting, right? Because that's going to happen at some point during your race. And I think to be like the best crew, I remember Elise was like crewing me at like, you know, at UTMB and I was having a bad thing, a bad time. And I didn't, I didn't want to stop. And I think she knew that, but it's just, um, she kept me in the aid station, put food in my mouth and then like, you know, like didn't let me think about quitting. She just like pushed me out the door. Right. So it's like, so having that conversation with your, with your crew so that they can just be like, Oh yeah. Okay. You want to quit? Well, we're going to keep going. Here we go. Like let's, so they can be your biggest fan and like, you know, do what you need, but not entertain. Um, yeah. Stopping, I guess, you know, that's smart. Those pre-race conversations are probably the most important, important piece of the puzzle. (laughs) Know their expectations, you know, don't hurt. Like, like they might not want to talk. Maybe they're normally talkative. They might not want to talk during the race and that's okay. But having all those conversations pre-race is really Ooh. important. Like I have a, I have a rule where like, I don't let my crew ask me how I'm doing because I'm probably doing bad and I don't want to think about it. So I will tell you how I'm doing. Don't ask me. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't, don't want them to ask how I'm feeling because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want to, I want to just absorb their energy and I don't want to like put my negative energy out there if I'm in a mm-hmm. bad place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think another thing is like, if you want to be a good crew member, again, obviously everyone's different, but I think one really important thing to think about is like, never talk about how many miles are left. 
Don't be like, oh, just 70 more. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. If you've discussed it prior, you can discuss like how much is to the next aid station or something like that, but never bring them, never bring up how many miles are left. Never let them talk about that either. As soon as that person's head goes there, like bring up the next aid station, bring up the next like short amount of trail. When, when you're going to see like, them next. Exactly. Like, like do not let their mind go that way either, because that's really unbearable, especially yes. if they're starting to feel any sort of like, fatigue or anything their their mind will just grasp onto that um and then the last thing I was thinking of is again you're gonna feel a little bit like a bad friend but it's actually like really helpful if you don't give them too many options but like Mm -hmm. you really like want them to to eat something or drink something like don't be like oh what do you want because like nothing sounds that appealing and most likely they'll be like nothing you can be like hey do you want this or this And like, or like you said you were going to want these, you got to pick one. And like, it Mm -hmm. sounds a little aggressive, but like it will help them. It's really harder to say no to that than someone asking you what you want. And like, oh yeah, my crew just hands me things. They're like, here's the top, like, here's the top ramen. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm eating top ramen now. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, yeah, they, they are now your passenger. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but the, the the cool the thing there too is like doing that early. Like if you're feeling like a rock star, like early on in the race, it's like, oh yeah, like making sure your runners stick to their nutrition plan because they will yep. become well, they say, uh, yeah, like it it yep. all you become like a tantrum child if you don't yep. eat during it. Ask them to show you their their gel wrappers. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, how's it feeling going? Where's the gel wrapper? Treat them like a three-year-old. They, they are now a three-year-old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They there are if you if you've ever experienced preschoolers they are now your preschooler that you are responsible for yeah that's about as much as much leash yeah not okay okay (laughs) next short question that i'm just gonna rattle through was is it bad to run in minus degrees celsius and what to do about it so celsius so zero degrees celsius is 32 degrees fahrenheit for those of you who are trying to do conversions in your head um furthermore so we've talked about this a little bit i've written articles about it um generally speaking i don't worry about temperatures um, until we get below negative four degrees Fahrenheit or negative 20 degrees Celsius. Um, those are like the fifth legal limits for like ski racing, for example. Um, I do think that as temperatures creep down to those single digits for Fahrenheit, so your negative Celsius and then below, like below zero Fahrenheit, getting colder and colder um, Celsius, you just want to be more cognizant about how long you're out there for and what kind of intensity you're doing in that. But you can generally do like easy running. Um, down to that like negative four Fahrenheit, negative 20 Celsius. Um, I wouldn't do intensity at those temperatures just because you're likely to aggravate your airways. Um, but there's no, re- you can definitely run in negative degrees um, Celsius. You can even run hard in those kind of initial bits of negative degrees Celsius, which are going to co- like be like that 20 to 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're okay, I promise. Um, <laughs> but if you want more information, send me a DM and I'll send you towards some articles. Um, Okay. And a past podcast, no? And a past podcast and yeah. like an I Run Far article and some other yeah. stuff. So there's lots of info out there. Google my name, Corinne Malcolm. <laughs> I've written way too much about this. Um, okay. This question was, I think, phrased a little, I was like trying to dissect it a little bit. It said, what was the most difficult thing for you to understand or implement in your running? And I think this was specifically geared as, as a woman, like specifically as like a female runner. What was the most difficult thing for you to understand or implement kind of understand about your body, understand about yourself and, or, and like, and then implement that within your running. Um, but I mean, specific that comes to mind. Well, I think the biggest thing here, and I think this is, there's also some, um, 
questions about this later, but the comparison. Um, and I think because especially there, I mean, there's a lot more guys in trail running than girls. And so um, I had to find a good, you know, group of women so I could, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, compare myself. Cause I think with that um, easy run should be easy. And I think it's, it would, was super easy for me to kind of push a little bit too hard if I was running with guys all the time. And so I think that that was the the biggest thing and the hardest thing I think for me to do is to make my easy runs really, really easy. Hmm. Julie, what about for you? Mm, I would say the necessity of in, eating enough carbohydrates, like both before and during your run and yeah. understanding that that's not only crucial to performance in the short term, but it's also really important for long-term health and reproductive function and well-being. <laughs> um, understanding that, you know, you don't have to cut calories or cut carbohydrates to be really good at running. You you need that fuel to be the best that you can be. And so understanding that that is important was was a long journey for me. And I've been obviously open about this, but I think that's difficult not only for me, but for a lot of women in the sport and in running in general. And so, yeah, it can be your superpower if you let it, but it can be a long journey. And if you know you're through that journey right now, like it's okay. A lot of people are going through it and you can seek help and you can get through it. Um, but it might not be instantaneous to get through that like icky relationship, but that's definitely the one thing that's helped my running the most and helped my relationships the most and my brain function and all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, I wish I would have learned that a lot sooner. Yeah, I think mine definitely falls into that fueling camp as well. Just like eating enough always of like fueling, you know, taking that last gel, even if I only have 15 minutes left in my run or whatever it is, like packing that post-race or post-race, post post-race, post-run, like recovery drink, et cetera. It's like these little things that just like add up in really mm -hmm. humongous ways that I've had to be more cognizant of. Um, that and I don't think I've ever had like a traditionally like poor relationship with food it's just like sometimes I'm not good at taking care of myself and it's like a busyness or like not a laziness but it's more busyness that gets gets in the way I think more than anything and that ties into this next question someone said any tips for balancing life busyness and training and they said sometimes you know quote life just gets in the way and I feel that in a big way, Keely and I were texting back and forth about something else earlier today. And, and she was like, I have to go run right now. But I'm doing this thing for you. And I'll send it to you later. And I promise I'm working on it. It's not a big deal. But I promise I just want you to let you know that I've like been busy and life is crazy. And I was like, I preach into the choir. Here. This <laughs> oh, yeah. like I am a disaster. If you have sent me an email and I haven't responded to you, you are not alone. There's a <laughs> group out there for people who have been neglected by Corinne Malcolm's inbox because it's my inbox is out of control. Like life, yeah. busyness and training is a, it's the balance is a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I have to intentionally carve out time both for work and for training and for the mm -hmm. little things. Like mm -hmm. if I don't, if I don't block an hour on my calendar to like walk to the gym to like do a sauna session, it's not going to happen mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I'll just work instead. And so it's like, yeah. it's it balance is a fallacy, but it's like, mm -hmm knowing when you have to prioritize one thing over the other or like making little cuts here or there to kind of get the most you can in and just knowing that you're not going to keep all the balls in the air at the same time. 
Yeah. I have been and dropping get, balls yeah. a lot recently. And giving yourself yeah. some grace if like you don't have the capacity to follow the plan that day, even if like you were supposed to run X amount and you only have time for something. Like today, I was supposed to run a really long run. And what did I do? I ran two hours. And so, <laughs> you know, probably 35% of what I was supposed to do. I didn't have time for anything else, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it because I have another day this week that I have a bigger chunk of time that I'm going to actually block off and I'm going to make that the day. And like nothing in my training is jeopardized from this. Like you have enough training in your body that like messing a few days up because like life is getting in the way. You feel super stressed. You're not, you're not liking the running. You're dreading the running. Like that is okay. It will sort itself out. Like a couple yeah. days here and there are not going to break you. Um, this is kind of the opposite spectrum of what Corinne was kind of talking about of like trying to fit it in. It's like also giving yourself the grace that if you can't fit it in or you have to like alter it a little bit, that is a okay. It's I am altering things much. constantly. <laughs> yeah. it's just Probably this yeah. week's like, did you do? <laughs> yeah. I felt like garbage running Friday and Saturday. I don't know why. I just like felt horrible. Like my quads felt completely blown and I was empty. And so I like cut my long run short on Saturday <laughs> and then I like came home and walked my dog, had like a bunch of food and walked my dog. And then yesterday I like showed up to run with a friend and I was like hey like I'm hoping that I feel good but I might not and I might just like go back to my car and get headphones and walk um <laughs> and it's like I felt great and I like extended that run a little bit so that I could like kind of hedge back the other direction so it's like yeah. there be days that you go long and days that you go short and it all kind of comes out in the wash at the end and that's like it's just being like consistent in the long term but flexible in the short term like on a daily basis that's the that's like my motto and I think the, the other thing I wanted to kind of piggyback off of what um Keely was saying is I honestly and sometimes it helps me to block it off in my calendar but to to schedule some like downtime where I don't have to do anything like where I can just read a book or just do like what like take a bath Scroll for an on hour. Instagram for 10 yeah. minutes just watching puppy stories <laughs> yeah just like something to just like have because I think you know if we're always doing something because you can do everything at all hours of the day you know if you like have this a non-traditional job right but or if you have other you know family obligations and stuff like that so that helps me to just because <clears throat> I'm quite an introvert so I need to have some solo time yeah. Stephen will be like do you have work to do and I'm like I there's always work to be done yeah, exactly. like, there's always I it doesn't stop I just choose to end my day eventually and it's like there's yeah. always the deck is never wiped clean ever. yeah one thing that I know helps JT because he actually has like a very high stress job that could go from 6 a.m to 8 p.m is having a group to meet like he will not miss a group workout to save his life like he will be mm -hmm. there unless something crazy happens but if he is left to his own devices and he's like i'm gonna go for a bike ride later and they're like work gets crazy that's yeah, way that's harder to hold yourself yeah. accountable to right than like oh i'm meeting friends to do this thing so like you know finding a group mm -hmm. or one other person that maybe can meet you one night a week where you know you're pretty exhausted but it, you know you get out for something might not even be as much as you need or you want but it, it's something it's, having that, that accountability counts. i think helps after work because like that time after work is brutal especially now with daylight savings where yeah. you're off work and it's dark like it's just hard to have motivation mm -hmm. yeah we're all human and it turns out life is hard sometimes um even if it's just running and work and family um okay next question can you crush trail training on a treadmill both incline and decline mm -hmm. when no trails are nearby yeah uh, um, we got yeah. lots of thumbs up 
this audio <laughs> format podcast, um, unless you're watching on YouTube and you saw faces light up, but yeah. Oh my goodness. I have so many athletes that are hiking on treadmills because it's winter, because it's dark, because the weather sucks, because they don't live by trails, because they have infants that they're responsible for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> like treadmill training. Steven is like, my husband's super busy working these like long ER shifts. We live pretty close to a gym. Um, our climbing gym, he like runs over there and the dude is like crushing treadmill workouts because like, <laughs> that's what he's got time to do. And it's like, it's so awesome from like a fitness builder, from a time perspective, from like a flexibility standpoint, like it's a great alternative. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I've trained a couple people for very gnarly races from New York city and areas where there's not much vert. And like, I think the treadmill supplement is fine like it builds you your fitness a lot and it gives you like a lot more bang for your buck again to the corinne's point is like you can get a lot of elevation gain in a short amount of time and not have to like go hike down an entire mountain to climb up it or vice versa you know hike all the way back down which takes double or triple the amount of time yeah i think Eric one or two love that yeah one yeah. question that builds off this um that i want to hit on and we're kind of moving into like a different, I saw, I grouped these, but they don't really matter. Um, someone asked, you know, kind of piggybacking off this like treadmill question um, was how does it work with remote coaching? You know, when you're prescribing trail workouts and you might not be, you might not know the trail. So I want to, I think that like is honestly like similar to this treadmill question where it's like, what is training? What is coaching? Like how are, like, how does prescribing work remotely, be it inside, outside, on trails, not on trails? I'm not familiar with everywhere my athletes live, et cetera. Like how do you guys both find that works or doesn't work um, when you're working with different athletes? So I think the biggest thing with this, because I mean, it, it is, it is a big thing. Like, I mean, obviously it's easier to, to train people if you, they live in the area that you've been. I mean, I know we've all traveled a bunch, so you can kind of have an, uh, you have a familiarity with a lot of different trails around around the US or even the world. But I mean with this, and I think we kind of we touched on it a little bit in a few episodes ago, but it's this is why like at least I train the people I coach by perceived exertion. So it's like mm -hmm. we're going by, you know, like it well, it, like it's kind of a it's kind of like heart rate, but also just like talk tests, like how hard do you feel like you're working? Um, and that can be achieved anywhere. Right. And it's, and this is also like the technicality of a trail. It's like, you know, I was looking at my Coros watch today and it, they have this thing called like effort pace. Right. But it can't really get, take into account if I'm going like up a really steep technical trail where there's a lot of like, almost like bounding where you have to like run a little bit, then hike or conversely on the downhill where I'm actually working fairly hard from a muscular and ankle standpoint and like mentally to like try not to fall. Um, so I think the perceived exertion can work really well and that can kind of go like you can kind of do that anywhere no matter no matter the trail. You can have a conversation with your coach if it's like you know, if something's more power hikey versus runnable. Yeah. Asking for specifics, right? It's like, I will yeah. tell athletes specifically when I'm prescribing like an intensity session where it's like, these need to be runnable uphill, but runnable. And it's like, okay, we might equate that to like X, Y, or Z grade for them. Or if it's like, mm -hmm. they might send me a Strava segment and be like, how does this climb look? And I'll be like, that climb looks perfect, et cetera. Or it's even like, if I'm prescribing not by mileage, but by time, you know, that that might take into vert better than saying, hey, I want you to run 12 miles. Was well, that 12 miles with 400 feet of climbing or is that 12 miles with 3000 feet of climbing? Because I can do both in my backyard really easily. And those are two very different 
workouts. And so it's like, I think you can add specifics to it that all of a sudden, even if you've never stepped foot on a trail in Texas, for example, I coach a bunch of Texans. Um, I've never run in Texas, but I feel like I can coach runners in Texas because we like talk through the specifics of what I want them doing for their workouts. Mm -hmm. So Keely, do you have any tricks or thoughts when it comes to coaching remote athletes like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think to your point, like sometimes I just creep on their Strava for previous yeah. runs and find areas that are look like a pretty good grade on a long enough hill. But otherwise, yeah, it's like I kind of bucket my my hill workouts into like three camps. One being like really short hill strides where like you want the terrain to be pretty runnable and like those are pretty short intervals. So then it's like talking to your athlete just to say, hey, this hill needs to be at least this long. Typically, it's relatively short, like three minutes at the most but I want you to be able to run the whole thing Mm -hmm. um, at a high effort. And then, you know, another camp is like, okay, I want it to be a shorter hill. Maybe it's like a five minute interval, but I, it's going to be gnarly and you're going to be like hiking most of it. And then the other camp is like, I need you to find a trail that is long. And like these Mm -hmm. intervals are going to be long ones. And that could be a combo of running hiking, right? Cause there you're getting into like long efforts on Hills and even like the lower grades at some point, depending on your skill level or your fitness or anything, like you could be hiking some of that. So there it's not quite as important. Um, but you're looking just for like a longer, steady, sustained climb. Yeah. And like race specificity comes into play at that point too, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's like, generally speaking, like I like my intervals to be runnable because it's like, I want you to be able to work as hard as possible or as as hard as possible for the effort we're trying to go for. But if like, I know that you're going to be doing a race that has a lot of hiking, or if I know you're gonna be on gnarly terrain, like that will then come into play as we get closer and closer to, to an event versus like, you know, we're doing VO2 max intervals in January and you're racing something in June type of thing. Like, I want you, I want you running those, those bad boys. Um, but yeah, I think it can be also on long runs too. Like I will prescribe both time and distance where I give a cap for each because it's like, Hey, if you're, this person might be running on like a rail trail or they might be in the, like in the Hills in their backyard. And like, those are two very different runs. So I might say mm-hmm. like, Hey, 18 miles or three hours, mm-hmm. et cetera. Cause mm-hmm. an 18 mile run might take six hours. If it's got 7,000 feet of climbing or 8,000 mm-hmm. feet of climbing, Or it might take, you know, two and a half hours if they're on a rail trail. So it's like Mm -hmm. giving them that, like, I'll do a cap where it's like this many miles or you're capped here. Like this Mm -hmm. run is no, not longer than three hours Mm -hmm. type of thing. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I think that you can use, you can play with prescription to allow for flexibility while not limiting like terrain, like not being like, this is what you have to run on this weekend, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I have one more to add just is, is one other like fun trail workout I like to do is like run intervals, hike intervals mm-hmm. where you're like practicing that transition. Cause I find depending on the race, again, it, it's obviously race specific, but some people have really hard time running to hiking to running. Yep. And so sometimes you can play around with fun little workouts that are like, you know, run moderate, hike really hard, run moderate and just practice the transition. And for me too, on the receiving end of that, like, I think those workouts are so fun. They don't really feel like workouts because you're like switching a lot and it's like, just feels kind of like a game. Um, Keely has the gamified training. I love it. Okay. Yeah, it's fair. One thing I wanted to know is that someone wrote in a question about the golden trail series, um, kind of asking how it works, et cetera. Are they all sub ultra distance races? They are all sub ultra distance ra- distance races, but if you want to know more about the golden trail series, we're going to recommend that you go over to the sub hub podcast that is hosted by MK Sullivan and Danny Moreno, two amazing sub ultra trail athletes. Um, MK runs for craft. Danny Moreno runs for Adidas Terex. Um, They've both raced in the Golden Trail World Series. 
So go over and check out the Subhub. They've done some kind of deep dive and some like explanations behind the scenes as to like how the series works, et cetera. And then deep dives into specific races on that series. So again, it's over at the Subhub if you want to learn more about the Golden Trail World Series. They are the experts. So we're going to let them take that one. <laughs> um, okay, one other question I definitely wanted to cover was how do you deal with post-race blues? And that's both, those can be positive, like woohoo, I did the thing, come down. You know, it's like even Olympians are bummed after the Olympics. And it can also be like the race maybe didn't go 100% as planned blues as well. So I'm wondering how each of you have dealt with post-race blues blues in either scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, it can be hard because mentally I think you're psyching yourself up, right? You're doing the training, but you're almost thinking about this race that you're doing every single day. And so then when it's done, I mean, I'm a very goal oriented person. So sometimes like, I'm like, okay, well, what's next, but then I'm tired. And I, and I want to actually, you know, celebrate the, like the achievement, like that I you know, did the race. And, you know, um, so I think first and foremost, for me, at least it's like acknowledging that it was a big thing that you did, even if it went well or poorly or like anything in between, it's like kind of, honoring that and giving yourself a little bit of, of space and not like rushing yourself to think about the next thing. Cause I think it can kind of lead into this, like, Oh, I'm, I don't know. Like I, you're lost. Like you don't have like the next, the next goal, uh, kind of ready. Um, and I think that could be dangerous because then can lead to like overtraining or like doing too much and like honestly mental fatigue as well. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've written about this a lot, at least like in my head. I can't even remember if I've published any of this, but I like to think of ultra trail running, like especially in the infancy of my career as having like a never ending finish line, because especially if you're running kind of for the wrong reason, like you get to a finish line and you're not content with yourself, you're not content with the race. So you're automatically like thinking of something else. And so how I kind of deal with that now so that I don't have as big of a letdown at the end of the race and automatically think of something else because like basically nothing would satisfy me because you know there's always more you can do now I try to really just focus on like the journey it takes to get to a start line and like being really present in that journey and enjoying the training and enjoying like you know all of those aspects and then actually like having a plan of the race where the goal is not the end it's not like finishing the race it's like executing your plan and like running really true to yourself so that when you finish like you can be really proud of that and to me that helps curb those blues a little bit because then like you're actually really grateful for that journey and you're also really proud of that accomplishment because you accomplished what you set out for regardless of that outcome so that you can't then take that outcome and use it as fuel for the fire of like another race that was that's going to be impulsive um and yeah, that, that I feel like it's really, really helped me. And then also just like the community letdown is also big. Like mm. I think going to races, it feels like you're reunited with a bunch of your friends. And to me, yeah. I think that's the hardest part about not having the race is like you're enveloped in that in what it feels like is a really long time. Cause you're probably there a couple of days before you see all these people and like racing is fun. And so for me, it's always that kind of letdown. You're like, man, now I'm like not around all my friends and that's really sad. And so what I try to do after that is just schedule more play dates with my friends. And so <laughs> that that fills that void a little bit and and makes it feel like, no, your community's still there. Like, yeah, you're, lo- you're leaving that race community, um, but you still have a community and they're right here. That makes me really happy. Yeah, it's like I need like social only runs post-race, oftentimes like once I return to run or like, 
I'm just, I also get really excited for like really embracing that time off or doing something different for a little bit. Like I even feel that pre-race even where I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to like be at this race and do the race and then be done with the race because it's like, <laughs> I'm excited for like that, like exhale of the mm-hmm. season of the event, et cetera. But yeah, sometimes you really need that decompression. I, maybe this is like, I don't think I'm technically an introvert by any means, but I do feel like I stretch myself in a really big way at mm-hmm. these events, both socially, et cetera. Like I'm doing commentary a lot. Um, or I'm like being pulled in a bunch of different directions. And I like distinctly remember traveling home post UTMB slash infinite trails this year. And I like had a, basically I had like a full day train ride to get from, um, Innsbruck to Geneva. And then I like had a, had the flight the next day. So I basically had two days, like completely to myself Mm. where I didn't have to talk to anyone. And I just like sat on this train and I didn't read. I like wasn't on my phone. I wasn't like listening to anything. I just had headphones on. So I like could be like in my bubble and I just like stared at the window and I like didn't do anything or say anything for like a six hour train ride. And that felt really good and really like refreshing. So I think it's like, and then like I get home and I take some time and then I get excited about, you know, the next race or the next season or whatever it is. And I think you naturally need those like ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of staying on this topic, someone asked about um specifically about getting their mojo back. Um, and I think that'd be a great topic to to touch on briefly before we maybe run through some rapid fire questions. Um, once again, definitely not gonna get anyone everyone's questions today. I'm so sorry. We'll have to do another ask us anything, but the it was, you know, how do you get your trail running mojo back when you lose it? And this is for the runner that's having the har- a hard time getting out the door. Is it the same sort of thing? Is it that just giving it time or having a social network to pull, like to pull from? Like, what do you guys do when you think that your trail mojo is missing? I mean, that's happened to me quite a bit this year. <laughs> same. <laughs> um, it's been like, it's been an up and down process. I think the main, for me, it's like having people um to run with and like kind of like Corinna you said earlier it's like okay well, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to feel but like here's maybe the plan I just want to start with you and see how I feel and also just having that really honest conversation with my with <clears throat> your coach because it's like it can feel this weird sense of um expectation if you want if you don't want to like let them down or you know even like let myself down like I would feel guilty for um for not being motivated. And so it's basically, okay, like I get to choose if I want to feel guilty about this or not. And just meeting yourself where you are. And then like, I think the more pressure that I put on myself, like the the worse that motivation rut becomes. So it's just kind of, and I, I think a really cool thing too, it's um just allowing more flexibility, like to deviate from the plan and also do something that sounds just pure fun. Like if a run doesn't sound good, but a bike ride sounds good, then all right, I'm not, I'm just going to get out on my bike. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find that my mojo is missing, not because it's like actually related to trail running. It's like related to other things. Like my stress bucket is just too full. Like I, I think my Strava title from Friday's run or Saturday's run was like, can stress cause like blown quads? Because I was just like, why? I was like, I'm well fueled. I like haven't done anything this week that I'm recovering from. Like, I feel like I'm in a really good spot and I felt really fit recently. And some like I've had I had a couple conversations with like friends and other people who were like, yes, a hundred percent. Like, this is definitely 
stress. Like you have your stress bucket is overflowing Mm -hmm. and you need to exhale (laughs) and you are feeling angsty and like, you don't know what you're doing with your life or with the world. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that is spilling in to your running and making you like, not, it's like, it's hard for me to love it when I like, can't like when everything else feels like very like out of my Mm -hmm. control. And so I think that like, oftentimes my mojo being lost, like, is it has nothing to do with running. It like has to deal Mm -hmm. with like me being a sad, like a sad panda about everything else. (laughs) Yeah. And then sometimes that can go two ways too. It could be that like you are maybe overcooking it a little bit and that's bleeding into the rest of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. But thinking of Mojo for me, I actually recall an episode where we read, I think it was feedback from a fan. I can't remember exactly the forum, but somebody called us out kind of like, Hey, I know you guys always talk about racing from like a pro lens and how important they are and like how you need to finish and run this certain time. But like, can we just talk about why we do this and how fun they are and how privileged it is to do them and like how cool it is Mm -hmm. to go explore new places and run these distances and do this all on two feet. And that's kind of what I remember whenever I'm in a really trail, like a trail running funk is like, okay, like, why do I do this? Like all the accolades, all the prestigious races, put them aside and be like, why do I do this? And try to remember like what your real reason is. And then just do stuff that feeds that. And that is it. And that might be like one day you don't feel like running at all. That's okay. Or it might be like, you want to go run this cool route you've never ran before, but it maybe is not the best in line with your training. Like, again, as long as you're like, have a good enough base, maybe you just go do it. Like go do stuff that really feeds that bucket so that you can remember why you do it. And it doesn't feel like something you have to do or something that you need to do for X race or anything like that. It's like, just Mm -hmm. do it for fun. And that really yeah. helps me because I was really sad when we got that feedback because I was like, you know, you're so right. Like, you're so, it's just running. It's, it's just I, running. It's so I, fun. I have that thought too about like the lens of which I'm like looking at myself with. Like if I wasn't a quote unquote professional runner, but I didn't have a contract, I would be so stoked with some of the racing I've done this year because I would be like a baller, normal human. And instead I'm like a disappointing professional yeah. runner. And it's just like, it's just the lens. It's, it's just what the it lens is. that you look like, cause right. I'm not that different than my friends. Like I work a full-time job. Yep. Like I'm doing all this stuff. And I just like mm-hmm. happen to have a professional contract, which definitely yeah. comes with benefits, but it's like, if I didn't have a professional contract, I would be so freaking jazzed on 100%. my year. And because yeah. I have a contract, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of a bad professional. Right. Exactly. Like, it's, so, it's so dumb. It's it so dumb. Is. Like reframing that is so important. Like I had people this weekend be like, oh my gosh, like, well, what's the cutoff for the Thailand race? And I'm like, well, I don't know, probably like 48 hours. And they're like, oh, so you might run for two days. And in my mind, I first wanted to be like, well, no, of course not. And then I'm like, well, maybe. maybe. But it's like, yeah. <laughs> the point is, is like, we are just running this freaking crazy race. And like, that is awesome. Yeah. Like no ego allowed, right? It's like, no, like their curiosity was warranted. And like, there's no room for ego there because yeah, it's just a freaking crazy thing. And like, it's so cool. Like we're going to Thailand. Who yeah. didn't yeah. say that? Nobody. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, like, yeah. yeah Reframing it's just like so important boring. sometimes, especially when you lose the mojo. Yeah. And this is what I, and like surrounding yourself with people who also can do that for you right I think mm-hmm. that, that can be or take you down a peg or two no well yeah yeah but like that's peg or two. <laughs> like but no but that's the thing it's like it's like for me at least it's really important to engage with like it's so the world my world isn't just running because like I'm 
I mean, we all are so much more than that. Like this is like something that's supposed to be fun and that we love, but it's like being able to, to just give some perspective. Like it's yeah. like at the end of the day, it's, it's just running. We're just kind of like hiking in the woods with some backpacks, like come with on snacks. Um, <laughs> okay. Enough on, enough on real talk radio, um, or sad, sad dad radio, whatever we're venturing into here. Um, we're gonna do some really quick things. This is quick YouTube. No, no novels or novellas or anything about any of these next questions. Okay. It's quick okay. rapid fire. Okay. And we're going to go Hillary, Keely, Corinne on all of them. Okay. Sorry, Hillary, you're in the hot seat. Ready? Favorite road shoe? Glycerin, Brooks. Ultra Tempo. And the Audios Boston 11 or whatever one's sitting behind me. Um, okay, newbie runner needs a watch. What do they get? Uh, this new Coros uh, Rose Gold one, it's super cool. You could wear it running and to a wedding. Okay. There. <laughs> I think Coros also my dad I made my dad get one because he's a newbie runner and it's cheap and it works yeah I think it's like whatever your price point is don't be weighed down by all the like gadgets and who's us like a solid GPS watch doesn't need to have anything fancy um how do you poop during a race <laughs> quickly hopefully you do it beforehand but quickly and quickly dig a hole okay yeah, I'd say like same. <laughs> yeah, I'd say look for coverage, do it quickly, dig a cat hole, get out of there. You know how dogs like poop and then like sprint away from it? That's what I want they, you to do. Or they like, like, you know, do their behind legs thing to like cover it up. Yeah, and then get out of there. Be excited about it. Get out of there. Um, okay. Uh, were you always a gifted runner or did it take practice? You can have a sentence on this one. Mm -hmm. Practice, practice, practice. I was a tennis player. So I like, I love being an athlete, but um, that's something I love the most about running is it takes hard work. So love it. Keely. I was definitely always a gifted runner, but it took practice to be able to compete because I DNF'd my first 5K. <laughs> love it. I was the soccer player who was way better at running than the soccer. I was yeah. the midfielder that just ran for 90 Same. minutes. It was excellent. So uh, competitive juice is always there had to learn how to train um okay bucket list race that you haven't run yet trans grand canaria love it and mount fuji mm -hmm. and hard rock sorry okay <laughs> bucket list everywhere keely bucket list race that you haven't run yet um ooh, ultra trail australia mm. love it and i'm gonna say mount fuji as well i want to go to japan we're going to make it happen on these Aprils. Okay. Are Pop-Tarts the greatest pre-run fuel ever? Hillary. No, waffles are. Mm-hmm. Keely. Uh, oatmeal, peanut butter, banana. I'm going to say Pop-Tarts have gotten me through a lot of things. <laughs> okay. What was your, this is, this is a little bit of a qualifier. What was your worst fuel choice ever? The listener did a Krispy Kreme half marathon and they did a long run only on candy corn, both of which they've deemed not oh. great choices. Oh, so, the candy corn. Uh, I, hate, I hate candy corn, but I, to I this day, still cannot stomach hammer nutrition huckleberry gels. Don't, don't, <laughs> do not overdose on those. It is bad. I can't even smell the things. Ugh. Love it. 
I mean, I'm going to go, I'm going to go full circle. I chose Pop-Tarts for Western States and worst idea ever because they're too dry. Just like chalk mouth. Who did you not talk to before Western States? (laughs) Keely, you could talk and you could have asked me a question. But I love Pop-Tarts for in the race, but yeah, not for that race. Um, Keely was trying to do the saltine challenge during Western States with Um, (laughs) Pop-Tarts. I tried to fuel part of Leadville on Skittles. (laughs) And it turns out when you have no saliva, they just become a giant ball of Skittle in your mouth and it does not go anywhere. So don't do that. Okay. This was actually sent in from the Hoka office and they've got a big debate going on right now within the, within the Hoka office. There's a big fight going on between red vines versus Twizzlers. (laughs) What do you got? Twizzlers pull and peel. Mm, mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Neither black licorice, wallaby, black wallaby licorice all the way. Sorry. Ooh, drama. I have yeah. weird taste buds. <laughs> I've got the quali- same qualifier as Hillary. Twizzlers, but I like the pull and pull peel and Twizzlers. Peel. Otherwise, Twizzlers. I'm going to go to the giant red vine bin. I don't like Agreed. the regular Twizzlers. Agreed. Yeah. We're horrible. Sorry, Hoka. Did not help. Need a third category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a third category. Okay. Society slamming. We're going to do at least one of these before we sign off for today. I'm just staring at them. <laughs> They're a bit long. There's one addressed to me as a Midwesterner, which I kind of like. Um, <laughs> I don't know where it starts and ends, but I'll start here. Hello. I started listening to your pod one year ago and look forward to your new episode every other Tuesday. Corinne, I'm a fellow Midwesterner, and I remember your name from high school ski days. Heck Aww. yeah. Um, I really love the content you cover and have a thought for a future conversation. I work as a pediatric diabetes educator and have a handful of young endurance athletes who live with type 1 diabetes. We have lots of conversations around blood glucose management during exercise, how hormones, increased activity, race stress can affect glucose and energy levels and different fueling strategies. Everyone's needs are so unique. However, it'd be so cool to hear a podcast showcasing an endurance athlete living with diabetes. Not sure if anyone, if you know anyone, but that would be super valuable conversation and means a lot to people who have type one diabetes represented in the trail running space. Um, anyway, thanks for what you cover every couple episodes. You're awesome and inspiring Zoe. Um, heck yeah. I don't, we, I was going to say like, I don't, I know, like I grew up with like, um, Chris Freeman in the ski world and he's a type one diabetic and like, listen to like his like trials and tribulations about dealing with like figuring, you know, how he needed to fuel out, but I'd be super curious to, do like an interview with a type one diabetic or someone who's just like dealt with diabetes in the sport. Um, I actually, yeah. And I actually coached someone and we've like, we've, it's a, it's an interesting, like, it's really interesting because even sometimes, even if he has caffeine pre-run, it spikes Mm -hmm. his glucose Mm -hmm. levels. So we had to be really like, careful about him practicing race nutrition on his long runs because then it can become this really um this this interesting thing about having to then bring insulin with him and he does um 100 mile races as well and we even at altitude he's got he wants to do leadville so that changes things a little bit so um yeah it's um just a constant conversation (laughs) yeah so i guess if you're if you're listening to this and you are a type 1 diabetic reach out to us we'd love to hear more of your tips specific things you struggle with um things that you found work really well for you etc and we can kind of pass some of that along and maybe find an interview out there as well um i guess we have one last question and then we'll sign off for today the other slam i'm just going to read it and make you guys answer it Mm because i'm on a roll it says, how do you deal with feeling like you're losing, quote, quote unquote, losing fitness when in a period of rest and recovery? 
especially when dealing with an injury, I always find myself extremely stressed out that I'm losing all my running strength, even while cross training. Is this just a mental thing or does fitness actually deplete quickly? Question mark, which I don't know why I read the question mark. Um, <laughs> obviously a question. Uh, is this mindset? I've been doing too much talk to text clearly. Is this mindset something you have struggled with? This is a great question because yeah. it's like very real. And I think that we've all struggled with it, have had athletes struggle with it and have like come out the other side, I think in a big way. So mm -hmm. Keely, why don't you start with this one? Like what comes to mind when you hear this question? Uh, what we've preached a million times is that you don't lose fitness as quick as you think you do. Um, but I definitely struggle with it. And it's easy to go down that rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh, I haven't ran for a week. I'm going to lose all my fitness. Me and Karen have said many times, it takes longer than a week for you to lose any fitness. But if you're in a serious injury and you're actually cross training, like, I don't really think you lose much fitness. Like a, you might need the break, but like you have lifetime miles that are there. Like you're not going to come back like a toddler running again. You know, you're going to have a base. Um, and then like biking, aerobic exercise, swimming, all of those things build your aerobic base. And then I think personally, like mountain biking is like a sick cross training that really increases your anaerobic threshold too, especially with the uphill running with uphill running. Like I remember getting off the bike one summer oh, during COVID. I, like, I feel running so like, fit off the bike. Oh my gosh. Yeah, running up hills are like, Oh, I can slow down a little bit. I don't have to redline this whole bike up the hill. Like, so you don't, you with it's like the scientific answer. No, your fitness will not deplete that quickly. Other types of exercise will keep your fitness up. Like mm -hmm. your fitness is only really deteriorating if you're sedentary all day long for an entire like 10 day period and do absolutely nothing. <laughs> and, then like, even, yeah, and even then, and even then it's like a really, I think it's like two weeks oh. and even then it's like a yeah. really small decrease and it generally has to do with blood plasma volume decreasing. Yeah. So if mm -hmm. you're cross training, like not in like, not like a not incessantly, just like a little, like just like a normal amount of cross training. You could maybe add something like the sauna if you're worried about it, but yeah. blood, it's blood plasma volume decreases when you're sedentary. And so that's part of what's happening there. And then the other piece is like, it's a, it's neuromuscular. So generally speaking, like that first run is going to feel really weird, but then it's going to come back really quickly because mm -hmm. those are the two major mm -hmm. components that cause fitness decreases. I'm using air quotes on a podcast that you can't see um, to explain like what that sensation is when you come back to right. running. Well, and uh, apparently uh, stress can ca cause blown out quads. So don't stress about it. Don't stress <laughs> about it. No blown out quads for you. You're going to have a couple of rough days and then you're going to feel amazing. Okay. Um, we're going to sign off there for today. We hope you liked the format of this podcast. We'll hopefully do more of them in the future. It was really fun. I think personally, um, yeah. self-proclaimed loved it. Um, <laughs> so slide into our DMS, let, let us know what you thought. Leave us a five-star review, tell your friends about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> we love you all and we can't wait to see you out on the trail.